Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we've got a really good episode lined up for today. I'm going to read something that came off of this next guest's LinkedIn profile because I thought she described herself in a very interesting way that I want to share with you. So today's guest is an experienced change manager who embraces technology to build change management programs for organizations. She is a subscriber to, quote, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, unquote, and therefore applies tools with discipline tracking successes and failures for change initiatives. I absolutely love that part of your LinkedIn profile. She is currently the change enablement lead at MTX Group. Please welcome to the show, Casey Morris. Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. And I I really did sincerely love how you wrote that up. That was just a small snippet. So I'd encourage um, all of our listeners to go out and look at your LinkedIn profile. You've got some great snippets just in your LinkedIn profile. That was educational just in and of itself. (laughs) And I've really tried to have conversations with guests about how we're managing or how we're measuring uh, the effectiveness of these programs. And so the fact that you put that in your LinkedIn profile, it just kind of really stood out to me. And it was something that I I want us to be able to talk about more. So so let's start off as we always do with the show. And and we'd like to get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. Yeah. So um, I think that I'm probably uh, in... Uh, agreement with the rest of my change manager colleagues um, who are concerned about the rapid speed of change. Um, We've been talking about the speed of change for for decades in change management. Um, But I think that uh, after evaluating some of the clients I've worked with and and companies I've worked for, for frontline workers, it's not so much the, the pace of the change that they struggle with. It's the shifting priorities. It's what do I focus on today? What needs to come off um, and making those decisions. And those are very, very difficult decisions to make that leads to that kind of paralysis and slowdown. It's not that we're hitting them necessarily with, with too much at once. It's they don't know how to prioritize what they should be working on. Yeah, I think that's a, a really fair concern. And and what we've seen, uh, we've had some customers give us some feedback lately about their organizations where they said that their frontline workers have actually kind of shut down their willingness to change in part just because of what you just said. Excuse me, the the changing of priorities and the frequency of change just period meant that why should I absorb this change if I know that this thing's just going to change down the road again, right? Absolutely. I think that that is true for for all of us in in most things, but certainly with um with frontline workers <laughs> Um, what I see is that they're they're very, very busy. They're being pulled in lots of different directions. And we don't do a very good job of saying, um, you know, this, this change, this one is more important than these. And that's a leadership thing, right? So you got to have your C-suite willing to say, you know what? Yeah, this, 
this initiative is more important than, than last quarter's initiative. So you're going to tie that off and just focus on this and, um, and have those conversations. Um, I had a wonderful boss one time who uh, I would go in and say, okay, here's everything I'm working on. And he eventually taught me to come in and say, okay, here's everything I'm going to stop working on this week. And, you know, what's coming off my plate became the, the nature of the conversation. And we don't do that enough. That's brilliant. I had a, a boss that I worked with in the past who used to say things like, we need to be laser focused on these 10 things. And I used to yeah. say, you know, a laser, like it's actually a really fine point. <laughs> the whole purpose of laser <laughs> focus is that it can't be on 10 things at one time. Exactly. So, yeah. You're talking uh, about an array. <laughs> exactly. Which is completely different. So change the metaphor or something. Yes. Um, but, you know, the other thing when I think about prioritization, and I love that you you talked about what needs to come off the list, that is something we often don't do. And this, this isn't just limited to frontline workers. Um, this is really all relationships between leadership and, and the folks that they are leading is that we, we can't keep saying, well, here's the new priority. Here's a new priority. Here's a new priority without saying, here's where we have some give to, you know, reduce the priority of these other things so that we can make room for these other higher priorities. Absolutely. I think it's something that's really lacking when I look at my PMO brethren about project planning and the things we build in, we very rarely build in exit ramps. How do we get out of this? Um, at what point can we peel off different stakeholders and give them their lives back, <laughs> yeah. give them those hours in their day back? And we don't build that into our planning when we're planning these strategies and initiatives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, common, common problem. Well, in many of the, the frontline worker roles that we talk about here in the show are largely, uh, you know, task driven roles. They have a certain set of, of things that need to be accomplished in a given day, whether that's a number of deliveries they have to make, a number of customers they have to face, you know, a number of calls they have to handle, whatever the case may be. And uh, those things, you know, we never give them really much relief from having to, to meet all of those other requirements of their job. So when we're introducing new change and new priorities into the organization, we, we have to realize that there's not an unlimited number of hours in the day. They're at some point, they're going to reach capacity. Exactly. I was in a team meeting uh, this week and we started talking about the, the meetings we were going to set up with our, our stakeholders. And we said, okay, we're going to have this daily and that weekly and this team and that team. And so finally we get to the end, we're like, okay, we got it. And then it was like, wait a second, we have just asked for, we sat down and added it all up. We need 11 hours a week, just in standing meetings from this team. Back it up. Is that really how we, yeah, is that really how we intend to manage this? So, um, so yeah, it's really about sometimes just about doing the math, just just adding up what what your ask is. What amount of productivity are we willing to give up in the short term, right? To help facilitate this change. And if the answer is none or very little, then we, we need to look at what we're expecting of that. Exactly. And if it's none or very little, then it's a low priority. Right. So let's shift. Let's move. That's exactly right. So to me, it always comes back to the, what's the priority here? That's awesome. All right. This has been a great start. So let's, (laughs) let's give the audience a little bit of background into who the heck you are. Tell us uh, how you came into the role that you're in today and a little bit about your history and uh, kind of what makes you, you. Yeah, so um, I got into change management like most people did. I fell into it. Um, I was working uh, with communications, and um, I was reaching out to to 
people I was going to communicate with. And I said, Hey, you know, how is this really going to impact you? Cause I'm writing, trying to write a good communication here. And, uh, someone was walking by my desk and they said, what are you doing? And I explained what I was doing. They were like, Oh, you're doing change management. <laughs> you're doing an impacts assessment right now. And so I went home and I Googled what change management was because I had no idea. And, um, and yeah, it's, you know, that was 12, 12 years ago now. So, um, I've mostly worked in oil and gas, um, and end to end from the, the pipelines and all the way down to the gas stations for three different companies. Um, and then recently I, I feel like I've done everything I can in oil and gas. And so I moved to, uh, to MTX to work on in public sector. So now I'm working mostly with state governments. So what is it about change management that drew your attention? Well, I think that, um, so my, my bachelor's degree is in history and anthropology, and I've always been drawn to the social sciences. And that's really what hooked me in was change management is really the marriage of all the social sciences. We talk about um, context and culture. Well, that's you know, history and anthropology. Uh, we talk about the emotional change curve. What are people experiencing emotionally? That's psychology. Um, we talk about how, you know, microcultures within um, your, your team. Okay, that's sociology. So for me, it was very much a, oh, here is a fun application of the things that I did in academia. So, um, so that's really what hooked me in and um, I fell in love with it and I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. So are you still working with oil and gas customers today or have you now had exposure into other industries as well? Yeah, no, I'm uh, strictly governments. Um, so I'm totally in the public sector now. I've learned a lot. It's very different. <laughs> okay, that's good. Can you share, um, before we go back to some of the other questions that I, I would normally like to ask you, I'd actually like to get your take on what you see is the difference. I mean, I have some perceptions of my own about what's different about, you know, kind of public versus private market, you know, uh, companies, but I'm curious to get your take on that from an OCM standpoint. Yeah. So to the, the biggest change for me with the stakeholders is the method of accountability. Um, in the public sector, there are obviously laws and, um, and governance that is much more strict that comes with penalty of jail time. Um, whereas in the, in the private industry, in the oil and gas, it was much more um, usually commercially motivated. What's, you know, what's going to turn a profit. We have, you know, shareholders that we need to um, account for. So the motivations of the employees are very different. Um, so that's been so far, that's the, the modes of accountability um, are, are the biggest difference for me as far as the stakeholders. Change management itself, you know, is pretty agnostic to industry. And so the, the methodologies all still apply. Yeah, oh, that actually makes uh, quite a bit of sense. It, it really, the, the, the motivations are very different as you think about it. But I guess like the, the psychology side of things is probably going to be pretty consistent, I would guess, with the humans. Absolutely. Yeah. We uh, had a go live this week. And so the, the, here's some neuropsychology piece of it. Um, when your, when your brain is learning something new, it uses more energy and it burns more calories. And so um, I, I know this and my team knows this. And so we sent a team up to the, the cutover location and we sent them with a bunch of snacks and they were like, well, this is nice, but what? <laughs> I said, no, 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 there's great science behind this. You got to give people snacks on a go live day. So, um, that's universal. It's just an example of, of all the little universal pieces because we're all humans. So I think that's going to be the quote of this podcast already. We're just getting started <laughs> that you've got to give people snacks you on go live day. I love that for, for anybody who's listening to this show, take that note. 
<laughs> and uh, you know your increases or your chances of success increase by at least five x with uh, with that tidbit. I love that. Yeah, yeah. We we got to get some data behind that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, so let's go back to you know what we talked about in the beginning: the the, the pace of change, the prioritization of of change with with the men and women on the front lines. When, when you think of your the end user population of folks that you've been uh, you know working with throughout your career, what do you think? they're thinking is the biggest challenge that they're facing? Do, do they verbalize that it's the prioritization of leadership or do you think that they would have a different way of articulating those concerns? Yeah, so one of the things I hear is, is what now? <laughs> um, so I think that there is this, um, especially the last couple of years, um, everyone is, is emotionally um, prepared for what next because we've just been inundated with change. Um, and so I, I, I see a lot more of just, um, hands thrown up in the air and just, I relent, just what yeah. next just hit me with it. Um, and so what I'm finding is it's harder, much, much more difficult to get folks excited and enthusiastic, um, about uh, any change. And even when it's something incredibly beneficial, um, to them or to their colleagues or to their you know, constituents or, or customers, it's very, very hard to get people excited for change, um, much, much harder than it's ever been. So that kind of speaks to, you know, for all of the change management folks we've had on the show that have emphasized the need to articulate to the, to the men and women on the front lines, what's in it for them to, mm. to build that desire um, you know, phase of this. So how, how do we overcome that? Cause I mean, what you're saying makes perfect sense, right? There's just fatigue for change at work, change at home, change in the world. Right. So how do we help them overcome that so that we can be successful together? Yeah. So there's a, there's one thing that I always start with and what we all start with is the why statement for any change. Why are we doing this? Um, and it's, it's lovely when there's a tidy two sentence, 36 word, why statement, but it's rarely that way. So what I do is I look for, okay, what is the, what is the why that is inspiring? What is the why that is um, getting the feel good, the benefits? Yes. Okay. Let's write those down. Okay. What's the why that is the enforcement? Um, what's the one that's going to say, um, okay, we have to do this because of a law, or we have to do this because if we don't, we're going to lose money. There's, there's always some, um, you know, means of enforcing, um, or there's a new policy, whatever it is. And then there's also, you know, incentivize. So I've got inspire, enforce, and then incentivize. And that's really the what's in it for me. Um, and it is, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's your bonus. Um, but sometimes it's, um, less tangible than that. If I can figure out those three pieces and it's really, you know, what's, what's in it for me, what's in it for us. And, um, and, and, you know, what's in it for everyone. And um, if I can figure those out and get them articulated, then that really, really helps to communicate. So then once I've developed those statements, every communication, every talking point, every slide deck has at least one of those in it. So I'm constantly and consistently hitting them with, here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're doing this. That helps. Um, as people, especially trying to hit everyone where they are. So my emotional, empathetic folks love that inspire column. Um, my my accountants, my <laughs> data-driven folks um, really love the enforce column and that's what they respond to. So it's not just about finding that, um, you know, why are we doing this? Well, you know, 
obviously the terrible one is because I said so, but the, the, it's so much more deep than that. So I've spent a lot more time just developing those and discussing those with leaders all the way down to, to individual stakeholders. Yeah. I, one of the things that always it, it's come up on in these conversations fairly often is that I, I, sometimes with the men and women on the front lines, there may be very little in it actually for them. You know, that mm. when, when you said this before, what's in it for us, it may be more of a collective, right? Here's what's in it for the company. And sometimes I think it may be hard to make that connection to the men and women on the front lines that are most impacted because to them, it may be a net increase in difficulty or a net increase in effort. And in Lauren, it may not save them any time. In fact, it may take actually a little bit more time to do this thing because we're trying to collect more data when you're doing a, a work order in the field you know, do, doing a service visit, we may be asking you to collect more information than we asked you before. So the, the byproduct of that is that you're going to get less work orders done, fewer work orders done in a single day. But the data that we get from each one of those will be richer and there are downstream positive implications to that, right? But, but to that worker who's always been judged based on, well, how many work orders can you crank out in a week? You know, mm -hmm. we may actually be penalizing them in some way. And, and I just, I wish there was an easy answer to overcome that. But I, I think sometimes it's just, uh, you know, having to connect back this change to the bigger picture in the organization. Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure that they're always receptive to that. Maybe they just, maybe they don't care. Maybe the culture doesn't lend itself to them caring. I, exactly. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, um, so I've, I've definitely rolled out projects that did that, that exact thing. And so um, certainly identifying it is critical. And that's where, you know, we get into impacts assessments and impacts analysis and really focus groups and really understanding. Um, so you can respond with going back to HR and saying, hey, you need to redo the bonus structure so that we're not penalizing this group of people um, and, and really handle it policy-wide. Um, if you can't get you know, that done, if there's really nothing you can do on that end, um, then having to, to convince people that it's best for the company is, is a little hard. So one time though, um, we were going to announce something like this. We knew it was going to go bad. And so we timed it to right after our company picnic. <laughs> So we brought everyone together and everyone's like, oh, yeah, there's Martha over in accounts receivable and her kids and my kids get along great. And so then we made this announcement and said, OK, here's what's happening. And yeah, we understand this is more work for you, but it's going to make it easier for Martha and she would really appreciate it. And yeah. boom, we had them. So, um, so sometimes you just kind of have to be a little bit more strategic about those things. And, and um, because 99.9% .9 of people are good people and they want to do yeah. um, for their colleagues and they, they want to do right. So you just have to find that and appeal to it. Well, and what you just said really reinforces the importance of, of building those types of relationships, even when they're not necessary, so that when they are necessary, those relationships are already there. So one of the things that you mentioned in that three part, inspire, enforce, and incentivize, I really want to learn more about the incentivize phase of this. I haven't heard many good examples of incentives, and I'm curious to see if you've unlocked the code, the secret code to, to how to do incentives, particularly around digital transformation initiatives, frontline workers, a lot of the things that we talk about this on, on the show. I'm curious to get your take on that. Yeah, so when we think incentivize, we almost always think bonus or Amazon gift card, right? <laughs> like yeah. um, some something tangible, a T-shirt, some something like that. When I think of incentivize, though, I'm thinking much more of the um, the the kind of the less tangible benefits 
um, of, of doing any transformation or digital technology um, uh, project. So I'm looking for those things that are, um, we're gonna save you time by automating this process. Um, and, and so you, instead of doing these seven steps, I'm, you're now just gonna do these two. And so I have like some sort of visual. Um, so you know, get over the hump and then this is gonna get a lot easier for you. Uh, so I'm looking for those sorts of things that um, that I can I can uh, showcase to to our stakeholders um, about incentivize. <sighs> Trying to think of other examples off the top of my head, um, but yeah, it, it's a group effort when you go to to find these things. Um, there's yeah. usually seven to ten of us in a room saying, "Why are we doing this?" Um, and if we don't have a good answer, then then usually it's let's go back and figure out why we're doing if we don't know why we're doing this we can't do it <laughs> yeah so how do you collect that that feedback from the field because that you know to make it relevant for them it it's probably can't be your ideas that you're telling them is the benefits to them right but but to go solicit some feedback so what are the mechanisms that you use um to solicit some of that feedback from the folks in the field yeah i'm old school i just pick up my phone and call <laughs> You can't, you, you can't, you can't, um, you know, forsake conversations. You just got to talk to folks. Um, I, I, we use texting, of course, we'll bring in a focus group, but that's an hour, hour and a half ask of, of folks who do not have time. And so generally I, um, you know, I'll get my sample size together and I'll just get on the, get on the wire, get on the phone and, and call folks up and, and chat with them, um, take notes and, and go from there. And then I, and then I take it back and, and I'll make my project sponsors and the guys in the office sit down with me for two hours and articulate. And go through that. Are there any examples that come to mind of like surprising insights that you've gleaned from that outreach? Oh, yeah. So um, so we were going to deploy uh, iPads out to some some field workers um, who uh, we needed to, to get some more data from them. This is pipeline. So they're out in the middle of nowhere often. And so he said, yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. Um, but I'm in the middle of nowhere. There is no Wi-Fi. There is no cell towers. And I was calling him in his hotel room that evening. And he goes, I can do that, but I don't, I don't, I don't have internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> so what the project then transformed into is we're putting hotspots in all the trucks. <laughs> yeah. And so that, th that's kind of a, an example of, ooh, we, we need to step back here and, and rethink this. Um, but then there's also been moments where um, I thought I was gonna get a lot of pushback on something and they were like, sure, no problem. And then I thought like, hey, this is such a win for you. You're going to be able to do X, Y. We're going to get you out of paper for your time cards and, you know, put you in an app on your phone to do your time sheets. And, you know, they were like, we hate this. <laughs> Give yeah. us our paperback. So um, usually I'm shocked by, by the, their response more than anything. Um, but it's always worth it. It's always been worth it to just call up a few folks. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that that paper example that you were just talking about with the timesheets, you, you're reminding me of a project I did a long time ago, and I won't mention any proper names here to, to protect the, uh, the innocent and the guilty. <laughs> but, um, you know, we were automating what had been previously paper-based processes for a food and beverage distribution company. And 
Um, some of the folks on my team that were involved in that project were getting just massive pushback from the guys in the field. And, and it seemed completely irrational to us at the time. Well, what, what we came to find out, it, you know, through that process is that they were, there was a lot of wheeling and dealing going on in their business, right? And so through the process of digitization of, of this process, we were really constraining their ability to, to wheel and deal in the marketplace like they had been doing before. There were probably a lot of unscrupulous activities going on uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of a shock to the system on our side because we, it didn't even occur to us that, um, you know, that the people involved would be, you know, scamming the system. And so this, this approach to automate some of these processes I realized later, you know, in hindsight, that that the company was implementing this technology in part to to squash, you know, some of these challenges. But the massive amount of pushback that we got from from those folks because it was going to be closing off a, a way that they had been accustomed to was really a difficult change. And it led to people leaving. It led to people being reprimanded. It led to a whole bunch of stuff. So when you just think about like, hey, it's just so simple. We're just going to roll out a handheld now. Instead of this paper-based process, this is going to be so much easier than before, but it really was a threat to what they considered the way that they did things or the way that they did things, not the way they considered it, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, what, the way that they considered, you know, normalcy. And, um, and so it just, th- these were things that had not been predicted in the conference rooms until we got out in the field. Right. And then we got out in the field and we started seeing the pushback and we're like, geez, this is unusual. Why is this happening? Yeah. And you know, that, that definitely informed me going forward to not be so naive and really try to think about what are the real impl- implications of this? Not just the obvious business implications, but what are, how can we peel this back a little bit to figure out those things that maybe aren't on the surface that we need to dig a little deeper for that could be impactful to how this change is adopted? Absolutely. One of the things we talk about all the time is um, the, the root of most change resistance is a fear of something. Yeah, um, yeah. And we talk about fear of, you know, we, we say the word automate and everyone thinks they're going to lose their job. Um, so, so we talk about those sorts of fears all the time. But one of the things that I come across every single project I do um, that we don't necessarily think about is uh, the, the loss of uh, uh, status. So there's always in any group, in any organization, there's always that guy, the guy, capital T, capital G, the guy, right? He knows how to do it. And he's been doing it for years and he knows. Yeah. And if you have a problem, you call the guy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I see this within IT as well, Um, but we'll introduce a new technology and, um, you know, we've got our communications, we got our training and we're, you know, no, 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 no one's going to lose a job. You know, we do all the reassuring pieces of it. And then we have someone who's just massively pushing back. And I almost always ask, is he the expert in this? Is he, is he the SME in the old way? And it is pretty consistently yes. <laughs> and so what happens to that individual is they're now, instead of the guy, they're not now on the exact same level, the exact same plane as all of their colleagues. They're no longer the go-to guide. They have lost status amongst their peer group. And that is intangible. It wasn't in their job description. They weren't being paid extra for it. It was just a status piece of it. And when we take that away from them, then we're you know shaking up that whole structure. And so, yeah, that's always something to be aware of. And that's now something I ask very early in projects is who's the guy. Yeah. You just made me think of something that is very relevant to some uh, challenges that we see in, in my day job, as I refer to it at Skillful, where we've noticed that there's a, a gap between 
more senior level, mid-level and senior level leadership and the men and women in the front line. And that gap exists in, in the point of that frontline leadership, uh, supervisors and managers that are really a, a key stakeholder in, in helping to facilitate change with the men and women in the front line. And what we've noticed is sometimes they've kind of sabotaged some of the programs that have been put in place to help support the men and women on the front lines. And you just gave me an idea that I'd love to get your take on, and I'd love to hear our audience respond to this, reach out and text to me or put it on LinkedIn or something. But I'm curious to think, might sometimes the, the men and women on the front lines, the, the supervisors and managers, might they sabotage corporate initiatives because it's they see it as taking away their status. They want to be the go-to person. Um, you know, they want to be the one that all the, the men and women on the front lines have to come to for answers. Mm -hmm. And so when we put programs and systems in place that try to facilitate maybe needing them less for good intent, not to decapitate them in the process, but, but to allow them to be more efficient in their job. But does that give them a feeling like, Hey, if everybody doesn't need to come to me, then what the hell is my job for? Yes, absolutely. It's that loss of influence, um, lo loss of status. And um, we, we call them gatekeepers, um, our folks who, who really um, see their value less as, their, as, as a leader um, offering coaching and guidance and shepherding for their employees and more of the, I have more information. Right. And, um, and that's where they see their value. And so, um, so it's really hard to, to, to coach that. And we almost always have to get an HR person involved so that we can, can kind of coach them more towards the, no, you're a manager of people first. Um, but, but that is absolutely a thing. And it's very, it's, it's kind of hard to spot and, um, uh, but it's not, uh, impossible to overcome. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've come to realize that those folks that we're talking about, those frontline leaders are probably managers for the first time. And they've had the least amount of leadership development invested yeah. in them overall, yeah. right? They may have been doing the job as a field service tech yesterday or a delivery driver just yesterday. And now just this month, they got promoted to be a manager mm -hmm. and they got promoted probably in part because they did know a lot of stuff. Yes. They were one of the more knowledgeable people on the team. And so now they got a new you know, title to go with the new role and they're their default action is to continue to be that, that's me, right? A subject mm -hmm. matter expert um, and can't separate themselves, you know, from the, the leadership capacity there. Oh, absolutely. So what we see is the guy who got promoted was because he was the best at the job. Yep. And so his main skill is, you know, doing this doing piece that of the work. And so then they manage thinking, okay, everyone just needs to do it like me because that was successful. And that's not how people work. Yeah. <laughs> They're all, we're all very, very different, different styles, different approaches, different strengths and weaknesses. And a good manager understands that and can, can maneuver his team. But the guy who got promoted because he was just the very best at it doesn't have that training and knowledge to know how to do that. Huge yeah. gap, huge gap in leadership principles. This topic probably falls into the long list of things now that I've come to realize in the podcast is something that should, probably should have been more obvious, which is that you know the, the path to successful digital transformation with the men and women on the front lines might involve leadership development for the men and women on the front lines, <laughs> you know, for those supervisors and managers who are first-time managers, and we're putting a pretty big burden on their shoulders. We're expecting a lot of them, and right now, a lot of our customers are telling us that those folks in those jobs are 
even more constrained than they would normally would be because they're actually filling in for headcount that they can't fill or that they've got such massive turnover issues. So they're mm -hmm. trying to be a manager, perhaps being a, a first time manager, trying to develop as a leader. And they're also having to still do the job that they just got promoted out of, right? So there's just so many things competing for their attention and, and priority that um, you know we are expecting a lot from them. Exactly. And then it goes back to that question, what's the priority? Do you need right. them to, to lead a team or do you need them to continue to produce, you know, their KPIs. So yeah. what, what's their priority? And I, I think some customers would say yes. Uh -huh. Right. So yep. <laughs> yeah, both of those things are priorities, right? Yes. And, and that I, I understand it. It makes, it makes perfect sense, but we have to, to help them really choose and be more selective because with their, at the end of the day, there's not infinite time and infinite mm -hmm. brain capacity. Right. So we, we do really need to do a better job of prioritizing. So it's interesting to kind of circle back around to your first comment. Yeah. Yeah. It's shifting that conversation to what's coming off. Yeah. All right. So we're already coming up. I, I, this, this is really going particularly fast. And um, there was one thing that you and I had talked about in, when we first got a chance to meet and you talked about giving stakeholders a vocabulary. And I'd really like to share your perspective on that because I think that's so important. And it's something that we've dealt with at our company. And, you know, we have a relatively small organization, but even just making sure that we're all using the same terminology and stuff, we've recognized the importance of that. And so in a larger organization, it, I imagine it's even more important. Share with me your thoughts on that. Yeah, so um, we, we try to make change managers out of everyone. Um, <laughs> we all uh, have to manage our own personal changes. And so as much as we can um, teach our stakeholders the, the, the vernacular to be able to express and understand both where they are in that, you know, again, that emotional change curve and like, uh, oh, I'm in denial right now, or I'm angry about this, but I'm going to get curious later. Um, that piece of it is, can be helpful, um, but also um, understanding the, the nature of the change itself. So we talk about, um, you know, hey, we've got this change that's coming up. This is a simple installation. Windows is a great example of this. We all have to do Windows updates, right? Yeah. And office updates, major organizations. And so it's very much a, hey, this is an installation. This is a simple, um, you're going to come in, we're going to come in, we're going to do some communications, of course, you're going to get some training resources available to you. But this is a simple install. We need you to continue doing your job the same way you did as efficiently as possible. The least amount of disruption possible for you. That's what we're going for. Great. And so that manages their expectations. Okay. This is, this is, I just need to keep going. Um, but then we have other changes that are transformational. We're really trying to implement things and we need them to change their mindset about things, their behaviors, meaning that today I see A plus B equals C. Tomorrow I see A plus B, but it's an equal D now. I need to think about it differently. I need to reach a different business conclusion. Um, so I need a different mindset on this. I need to approach it differently. So for those, we're very clear on we are implementing a new strategy, a new initiative. The technology is then secondary. It is it's it becomes the the tertiary not quite least important piece, but yeah. very much a hey, we need you to think about this differently. Those sorts of projects require a lot more change management, obviously, um, a lot more tools and tracking, and we get into change agent networks and influencers, and, and it's, a, it's a lot more in-depth. Um, and that uh, 
making that distinction with them, hey, this is an installation or we're doing a full implementation um, is it manages their expectations and, and helps them know, okay, here's the, the, the capacity, here's, here's what's coming. Um, so yeah, just teaching them some basic words for in the change world helps a lot. It's fantastic. One of our guests said that, um, you know, change management is effective in the organization when you stop specifically talking about change management. <laughs> and I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And it, it, it feels like it, not, not that you, you're actually getting away from change management, it's just because it, it becomes so ingrained in the culture of the organization that it does, it's not something that you just like add on as a line item to a project plan but it actually just becomes ingrained in the organization. And I feel like what you just said about the, the way that you communicate and the way that you standardize on the vocabulary would be a critical component to that so that everybody can be speaking that, that literally the same language and, and just really get on the same page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's critical to give people the, the tools, the language to be able to, um, to, to be heard. Um, so we work on that quite a bit, um, just giving folks the, the, when we go to our leaders and have our leadership meetings and we say, okay, how is this going with your team? Um, we'll whip out the good old change curve and say, where are they? And plot us, where, how, how do you feel like your team is as a whole? What about the individuals? Um, because that gives them that uh, visual, but the, the language and it gives them the endpoint. So if we, if we happen to hit them on a day where everybody's in anger mode, they're out of denial and they're in anger, then that's a sad meeting unless we can show, okay, great, they're making progress. They're out of denial, they're in anger. Next is gonna be curiosity, let's go. And so here's how we can help you, know, help you get them out of anger and into curiosity. And so until we reach you know, realization and adoption at the end. So, um, so yeah, th those tools are, are incredibly helpful and it helps managers and leaders be better managers and leaders. Right. Again, to, I, I'm kind of reiterating something I said before, but I think that's been one of the biggest kind of aha moments for me as the host of this podcast and listening to professionals like you and just some of my own firsthand experiences and understanding that digital transformation is definitely not about the technology. And it's not just about the end user that we're expecting to adopt the technology, that there's so much around the overall organizational effectiveness around the men and women that support those other men and women <laughs> that, uh, you know, we've got to get it right. Otherwise we leave, you know, massive gaps in, in the plan. And then we kind of sit back and wonder why things aren't, aren't going as well as they could have been. Right. Yeah. I try to always start with the business side of, uh, of, of a change. Um, I want to understand what the, the business process is before I understand what the technology is. Um, because under, you know, working with my BAs and, and getting our, our business side of this figured out, um, that's their language. They don't speak technology. They speak, what's my business process. And so when I can figure that out, then, um, then the technology piece comes in easier because I, I, it's easy to map those two together. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Casey, thank you so much for, for joining me on the show today. It's been a great conversation. I knew from the minute that I met you, you were going to have uh, a lot of energy and enthusiasm on the, uh, on the show here. So thank you for, uh, for bringing all that with you today. You bet. So happy to be here. Thank you. Excellent. Well, I do need to wrap it up there for the audience. Uh, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the, the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. Remember, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. 
and we're always looking for more guests. And as I mentioned on a couple of the recent shows, um, we're not getting away from talking to OCM professionals, but we really do want to add a little bit more um, folk, uh, more folks that are involved in the learning and development side of things specifically, and how we're uh, delivering training and, and communication to the men and women on the front line. So uh, if you have other colleagues, and I'd say this to you, Casey, and to uh, to the others that are listening, uh, if you know folks with, with an L&D background and learning technology background that you think would be a great guest on the show, we'd love to have them here and uh, have them on a future episode. So reach out to me on LinkedIn or uh, get in touch with me via email and uh, look forward to getting in touch. Casey, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you again. Thank you.